So it's really good to see you all. Let's go ahead and uh, prepare our hearts to worship by praying and asking God to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come into your presence to study your word, uh, to grow in our knowledge of who you are. And we know that it is through the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word that you do conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, there's not a single one of us in this room tonight who is not struggling with some form or fashion of sin. Uh, as a matter of fact, many of us are struggling with lots of different things in our lives. But you know us. You know our struggles. And oftentimes you allow us to fall into those struggles so that we will stop trusting in ourselves and trusting you. I pray you will help us to do that tonight. I pray that you will help us to look apart from, from our circumstances to the one who's in control of them. I pray that you will allow us to look and realize that your providence, your will... Uh, is being done despite our flaws and that we need to look to you our god and our savior our lord and our creator the one who puts breath in our nose and hope in our hearts we look to you for help and understanding and wisdom and knowledge and truth and so be with us now in this time holy spirit this class belongs to you and i just ask that you will open our ears our eyes our minds and our hearts to these truths help us to know jesus our lord and savior in whose name we pray Amen. Amen. Um, so tonight we're going to talk on a topic. Um, this is not very Christmassy, right? Y'all, maybe y'all were expecting a Christmas sermon tonight, but we're going to talk about the state of man after death and the resurrection of the dead. It's a big question. What happens to me after I die? And a lot of people don't like to talk about that, but the reality is, is that each and every one of us in this room are in a process of dying. Every one of you in this room. Now, most of you in this room are under 30 years old, and you have no idea what that means yet. But a few of you with some gray hair actually can kind of know that um, our bodies are starting to give out a little bit. We're not being able to see and hear as good as we used to. We don't wake up as quick as we used to. We can't bounce back from a night on the town and et cetera, et cetera. We just don't have the strength that we used to have. And the reality is every one of you, even you young ones that full health, uh, feel healthy, wealthy, and wise right now today, if you don't believe that you're dying, you can try a little experiment at the house. Don't take a bath or a shower or brush your teeth for about three days. And then not only will you know you're dying, but everybody else in this room will as well. You see, your bodies are dying, and that's the reason why you have to put on deodorant. That's the reason why you have to take baths and wash and clean all the dirt off of you because we're literally rotting, right? And, and the truth of the matter is, is not only are we physically rotting, but we are actually spiritually rotting. And what does it look like to die spiritually? Anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, drunkenness, and crousing. So in the same way that your armpits emit an odor that it proves that your body is physically dying, your actions and your words and your thoughts are the fruits of a spirit that is dying as well. And each and every one of you in this room have struggled with some type of addiction in your life. And you were dying when you were addicted to whatever it was you were addicted to. Maybe you're still addicted to it. And the truth of the matter is, as long as you hold on to that, you will continue to die. And the truth of the matter is, is that anything that we look to besides God to give us life will destroy us. Because only the Creator can give us life. There's nothing in this world that's going to give you the life that you're looking for outside of God. Money won't do it. Relationships with significant others won't do it. Uh, highs, lows, uh, emotional roller coasters, um, pleasure, uh, cruises, trips, uh, seeking pleasure. Whatever it is that you try to find to give you life in this world is only going to produce death in you. 
And so we live in a world that is dying. The Apostle Paul actually says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that the whole earth groans in travail. If you ever go out and sit in the woods, just sit in the woods by yourself, you can hear the trees creaking. The wind blows and you can hear the trees creaking and you can see the leaves falling off of the trees, right? Well, the reason they're falling off the trees is because the leaves are dead. And the whole world around you is dying. And you see it in your families, you see it in your friends, you see it when you watch the news. And this poor fallen world of Adam's creation, or or, God's creation, but of Adam's fall and of Adam's curse, this whole world is trying to do whatever they can to find something in the creation to give them life that the only the Creator can give. Not only that, Adam and Eve went and hid themselves in the fig leaves. Remember, they were naked. And they hid themselves in those fig leaves, and they were trying to cover up their shame. They were trying to cover up the fact that they were dying. And God came down and exposed that. And we do whatever we can to try to convince ourselves we're not dying. But we are. And so why do why would I want to bring this up at the holidays? Why would you want to bring this up when it's Christmas time and we got twinkly lights everywhere and Santa Claus is coming to town and 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 joy to the world, the Lord has come and, and all of this happy, happy joy, joy of the Christmas season. Why in the world would I want to teach you guys about death and the, the state of life after death? And the answer is is because God's ju- uh, law and God's justice and the curse that we are under are like a, a black backdrop so that the beauty of his gospel and his mercy, the diamond, if you will, of his mercy and his love and his grace and his gift of eternal life, his promise, can be set down on that black drop. Just like you would if you went to a jewelry store to look at jewelry. They put it on a backdrop to make the diamond pop, to make the light come out in it. And so... Yes, we, are, we groan, we are sad, we are sick, we are in pain, and we're trying to do things to avoid that. But the gospel brings a joy despite that. When Jesus came and was born uh, of the Virgin Mary and was born in that manger uh, out in the middle of that field, he was bringing joy to the world because he was coming to do something about our state of death that we were in. He loves us and he wouldn't leave us there. And so that's kind of one of the reasons I want to talk about it. I want to share two verses of Scripture with you. You don't have to turn to these. We're going to use Luke 16 for our backdrop today. But I want to share two verses of Scripture. One of them comes from the book of Psalm, And it's Psalms 39, and it says this. Show me, O Lord, my end and the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. This is Psalm 39. Show me, O Lord, my end and the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. As you grow older, it seems like time goes by faster. Have you ever noticed that as you get older? Remember when you was a kid in school, it never seemed like school got over with. And then when the summer got here, it seemed like it went by too fast. And you couldn't get a grasp of time, but it seemed like time dragged on forever. It seemed like it was going to be forever before you could drive a car. Or forever before you could get out on your own. Or forever before you could get married and have your own family. And the reality is, as you get older, you start saying, whoa, this is, we need to put the brakes on here. Like, this is going too fast. And the reality is, time is not changing at all. But deep down inside of you, you're beginning to be aware that I don't have a lot of it. 
When you're a kid, you're not aware of that. But as you grow older, you become more so you should become more sober in your thinking and realize I don't have that long left. And that's what the psalmist was praying. Show me, O Lord, God, show me my end. And the measure of my days and let me understand, let me know how fleeting my life is. Have you ever noticed that the time that you were the closest to God in your life was when you was about to die? Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed that when you were really, really sick or when you were really in a position where you were literally on at rock bottom, those were the times that you were closest to God? It was because you realized how pointless your life was without him. You see how that works? And so that's another reason I want to focus on this tonight. Think about this one. This is in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and Solomon, the wisest man ever lived, wrote this. He said, it is better to enter into the house of mourning than a house of feasting, since death is the end of every man, and the living should take this to heart. This is Ecclesiastes 7, 2. It says, it is better for a man to enter, or someone to enter into the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, since death is the end of every man, and the living should take this to heart. Well, what does it mean? Uh, Solomon is saying it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. Mm-hmm. It's better to go to a funeral than it is a wedding. Because at a wedding, everybody's all festive and floppy and happy and joy, 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 and they're living beyond their means and they're living outside of their reason. Right? They're celebrating and having a good time, but they forget how serious life is. But when you go to a funeral, when you go to a funeral, people are at the end of themselves. Like they know as they sit in that chair and look at their loved one in that box that that's going to be me one day. And not only that, many of them that are sitting there in that funeral looking into that box are going, where is my grandpa or where is my grandma or where is my mommy or where's my daddy? And only God gives the answers to those things. And what we find is, is that the Bible teaches us that despite the curse and despite God's judgment and condemnation on this fallen world, there's a hope for those who are in Christ. And it, it's way deeper than anything that we can even imagine. What did he say? He said, I have not seen, ears not heard, nor has the heart of the mind imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Like we can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like. Right? That's where that song, I Can Only Imagine, come from, right? But the, the truth of the matter is we can't even put to words the beauty of the eternal life that we have waiting for us on the other side of the grave. And with that, we can now have a hope in this fallen world that we live in. Like, we know that after we draw our last breath, the moment I breathe out this last breath on this earth, my next breath is going to be in my eternal home. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. So... Let's look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 16, uh, and I'll share that with you. And then we're going to go to this uh, creedal statement that I give you guys, and we're going to kind of break down some of this stuff. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Luke chapter 16, verse 19, it says this. Now, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in the splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. 
Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames, in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that during your life you received the good things and likewise Lazarus had bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, for they, so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will be not persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And so Jesus has given us this parable to understand uh, a part of the estate of us after we die. And we notice that Lazarus was a poor man. And in this life, he lived miserably. Mm-hmm. He, he died with sickness and disease. He died poor. He died begging for crumbs off of people's tables. But in the eternal kingdom, he was the blessed one. And it makes me sick to my stomach to watch these television preachers and these prosperity gospel preachers telling you that you can have your best life now. Because if you can have your best life now, you're going to hell. Have you ever thought about that? If you're enjoying your best life now, then hell awaits you. Now, it's not that we're not to have a roof over our head and and ways to provide for our families and and health and good food and good friends and good fellowship. That's not what it's saying. But the prosperity gospel today is teaching that those that are really blessed by God are the ones that have a full bank account and a model wife and model stu- uh, kids and they have a four-car garage and a big house and lots of money in the bank and they never get sick and they never have problems. And that is simply not the truth. The gospel is the gospel because we live in a... The gospel means good news, right? Mm -hmm. And the gospel is a gospel because we live in a world full of bad news. And we don't need to confuse ourselves about this. Your life is going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. And I got news for you. The life that you're living now at a young age is going to get tougher, not easier. We never get it figured out. <laughs> we never do. Right? And the more that I thought as I get older, I'll know more, the more I just don't know I don't know. <laughs> and that can be frustrating in itself, you see. But not only that, a lot of the advice that your mother, your father gives you, your preachers, your Sunday school teachers, 
is real good advice. And unfortunately, we have hard heads and hard hearts that won't receive it. But the point I'm making is this. Lazarus lived a miserable life here, but he enjoyed the eternity. He now at this time is enjoying eternity. The other man lived sumptuously. He lived dressed in purple and fine linen and joyously living in the splendor of every day. Right? There's an old preacher named J. Vernon McGee that used to come on the radio. And he says, if this, if this life is all there is, then brother, you better suck it up like an orange. But the reality is this is not what our life is about. As a child of God, as a born-again, blood-bought child of God, you are a pilgrim and a stranger here. And you need to fix your hope and your affections on the life to come. It's not that we can't enjoy the things that we have here in this life, but we can't set our affections and our hopes on them. Because there is nothing in this creation that you can set your hopes on that will will last. It all fades. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so our hope is in what God says. Right. Our hope is in what God says, not what this world is saying to you. And your hope is not in your sobriety. Your hope is in Christ. You see, because if your hope is in sobriety, it'll let you down. If your hope is in your own willpower, I can promise you that will let you down. Your hope cannot be in anything in this creation. It has to be in the creator and his promise to you. The promise of the gospel. So. With that said, I want to talk. I want to break down this creedal statement I have for you. For those of y'all who haven't been, been a part of classes that I, um, I teach, a lot of times I teach out of something called the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, and it's basically a, a creedal statement. The word creed means I believe, credo means I believe, and so it's a statement of what we as Baptists have believed throughout history. And they make these statements. This is not scripture. What I handed you is not scripture. What it is is a summary of what scripture says. And if you'll notice each one of the statements in that statement, has footnotes to it to point you to scriptures to help you to understand that they're not just making this stuff up. So the first thing we want to look at tonight is the fate of the righteous and the wicked. Now I'm going to read the paragraph for you and then we'll kind of go back through and look at some scriptures to apply to it and and see what it means. It says the bodies of men after death return to us. Women, that includes you too, right? Mankind, anthropos, that's what it means when it says man. Um, um, bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, have an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise where they are with Christ. And behold the face of God in the light and glory waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast, the souls of the unrighteous are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, four souls separated from the bodies, the scriptures acknowledge none. Now, does anybody want to take a guess at that last statement? Beside these two places, uh, paradise or heaven and hell, besides these two places uh, where souls are separated from bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. Why would they say that in there? Does anybody know? 
they, you go in one of two places. When you die, when you draw your last breath on this earth and you breathe out that last breath with your physical body, in your spirit, you're going to draw your first breath in your eternal home. Your body's going to remain here. And for a time, your body is going to be separated from your soul. How long is that time going to be? What we're learning tonight is that time that your body is going to be separated from your soul until the last day. And on the last day, you, your body and your soul will be reunited. But the beauty of your body then is going to be that it's going to be in the same state that Jesus was when he came out of the grave. Jesus was in his uh, regenerate body, in his eternal body, right? So we will be in the same state as Jesus on the last day. Our body, we won't have to put on deodorant anymore because we're not going to stink. You see, we're not going to be dying anymore. There's not going to be death in us. We're going to have a glorified body, and our body is going to be rejoined with our eternal spirit. On the last day, that's what's going to happen. So every person in this room, whether you are a believer and a child of God or you are a child of the devil, every one of us, when we die, when we breathe out our last breath here on this earth, our soul is going to go to its eternal home, either heaven or hell. And on the last day, every body that has ever lived is going to be resurrected and their bodies and their souls are going to be reunited and then your body and your soul will spend an eternity in your new home. That's at the rapture right Yes, in a sense. Joan, there's a lot of different ways that people see the rapture. and uh, So there's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is going to come down and just take the, the Christians and he's going to leave the Jews down here and let them do a lot of things for like a thousand years and stuff like that. I don't particularly, I believe it only says that there's one last day. And there's only one judgment. And the Bible also never uses the word resurrections of the dead. It says the resurrection of the dead, a one-time resurrection. So the rapture means a snatching away. And so what's going to happen is, is when Jesus comes back to the earth, the trumpet's going to sound and all that are dead in Christ are going to rise first then they're going to be joined together with those who are alive in Christ to be together with Him forever. But the bodies of the, the eternally damned are going to be raised as well, and their souls and their eternal bodies are going to be rejoined together, and they're going to be cast into an eternal hell. And so there's a lot of people, I think you even have one guy that teaches here that believes that hell is going to be like, uh, at the end, God's going to destroy hell, and there's not going to be a hell anymore. Like at the end of time, I think you got one. I'm, I'm, you yeah. used to have a guy here that taught that. Oh, yeah, Glenn. That, that's who I'm talking about. Yeah. So that's called annihilationism. And what he's what he's teaching you is that at the end of time, that uh, uh, God is going to destroy hell and all of those that were ever there, and then they just won't be. They, they like they will cease to exist. That there's not an eternal torment for the damned. Like when he says he throws hell into the lake of fire? Right. Is, uh, so what, is, what does that mean? The, the lake of fire is the eternal torment that Lazarus is in right here. So in this. it doesn't just destroy it. Just... No. So they're going to be given an eternal body. And in the same way that you're going to enjoy your eternal body and your eternal soul and your fellowship with God in heaven forever and ever, the damned will have a body that can't be destroyed. It's eternal. 
and they're going to be in eternal torment. And that's a terrifying thing to think about. It, it, it should be a terrifying thing. It should be terrible. It should scare the hell out of you. It should, literally, you, literally you should run from it, right? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. God is coming to judge. And when he comes to judge, so whatever state your soul is in at the time that you draw your last breath on your earth, you have sealed your eternity. And that last statement in this paragraph, it says, beside these two places, there is no place for the souls or their bodies. Scripture acknowledges none. What it's saying is scripture teaches there's only two places you can go. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And there's, a, there's, there's several religions that teach that there's like, well, they're like uh, Buddhists and, and Hindus teach that you go into a place and you get reincarnated and you come back and try to make it better the next time and you keep going over and over again. There's some religions that believe you go into purgatory and you stay down there and work off of, work some of your stuff off so that you can get better to finally be able to go to heaven. The problem with purgatory is, is that if you can do something or somebody can do something for you while you're in that state, then the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough to get you to heaven. You're dependent on something more than just Jesus and his work to get you there. Right. So the reality is there's only two places you can go. And for those who are in Christ, that should give you hope. That should make you literally like smile on the inside. Like you should be thankful that Jesus loved you and died on the cross for you and saved you. And that he and his father sent the spirit here to confirm that you were his and that you belong to him. And that he sealed you in his love and that's never going to go away. And you have that hope. And not only that, we need to understand that God's not going to let any of his people slip through the cracks. Like. He's not going to be sitting up there in heaven one day pulling his hair going, oh, I can't believe Billy finally died without believing me. Like, that's not going to happen. God knows who are his, and he's going to make sure that they hear and receive and believe him. So the so what we need to see in this paragraph is a couple of things. Number one, we need to see that the Bible makes a distinction between body and soul. That we are uh, bifurcated beings, if you will. We have a body and we have a soul. That's what makes us up. Um, there are some people that believe that we're triune, that we have body, soul, and spirit. And they say that the soul is the animal part of you and your spirit is the eternal part of you. But the Bible really only teaches soul and body. So there's two parts of you. They, uh, your soul neither sleeps nor dies. And we understand that when we die, we step into what is known as an intermediate state. The state between this this age and the age to come. The Bible teaches two ages. That's it. That's what the Bible teaches. This age and the age to come. Remember what Jesus said about getting married in heaven? He said, what did he say? Uh, in, in this age you marry. In that age there is no marriage. right? And so there's this age and the age to come. And so when you die in this age, you are in an intermediate state between this age and the age to come. The age to come is inaugurated when Jesus comes back. And at that point, you will be given a new body to be rejoined to your soul and you will spend your eternity in the eternal kingdom. And that's the new heavens and the new earth. 
And so we need to see that there's an immediate state, intermediate state. We need to see that it says having an immortal subsistence. Now, that's a big fancy word, but the word subsistence means that you have an immortal existence or being or continuance. That's what that word subsistence means, an existence. You, are, you exist, and you have an immortal existence. Now, you are not more, God is immortal, which means he has no beginning or no end. You are immortal in the sense that physical death does not bring about cessation. You are mortal in, immortal in the sense that even though you're depending on God for life, you will have life in God after the physical death on this age. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. So we are immortal in the sense that we will live on for eternity. We were created to live for eternity. Adam and Eve were created to take care of the heavens and the earth and to be to have it forever. It was theirs forever. But by falling away from the God and falling into the curse, they lost that status. They, they lost the ability to live forever and they died. And so the souls we need to so we need to see body and soul is one of the distinctions made in this paragraph. And the second distinction we need to see is that the distinction between righteousness and wickedness. There's two groups of people. No middle ground. It's those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. That's it. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. So the distinctions made in this paragraph are body and soul and righteous and unrighteous. Now, every one of us in this room, uh, the right, uh, the body and soul applies to every one of us. Each one of us in this room have body and soul. But only one of those two distinctions, righteous or unrighteous, applies to you. Nobody can answer for that. I can't look into your heart and know who you are. All right? There's a lot of unrighteous people that can fake it. Right? right? And there's a lot of people that are unrighteous that God is at work in that one day will be righteous. So it's not my job to determine whether you're righteous or unrighteous. It is your job because he, what does he say? Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. How do you test yourself? What is the litmus test for your faith? Please tell me you all know this. We've talked about this forever. What is the test that proves whether you're a child of God or not? Huh? What is, the, what is it that we use to test whether we're not in the faith? Well, I mean, that's, that means we're in the faith. But how do we test our salvation? What do we use to measure whether we're saved or not? Psalm, let me see, Psalm 119.105. So what is our standard of righteousness? What is it that we use to test whether we're in the faith or not? The Word of God. In the end, who's going to judge you in the end? Who's the, the judge? Jesus. The Word. The Word made flesh. And what does he say? He's the judge. And he what standard is he going to use for the judge at the judgment? What is he what is the standard he's going to use? His truth. And you are either in Christ or you are in Adam. Well, let's look at that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And let's look at that. That's the standard. God's word is the truth and he says you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. So in Romans chapter 5 there's Acts and here comes Romans 
We'll look at Romans 5, verse. we'll start in verse 12. It says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Y'all see that? Therefore, just as one man sin entered into the world, through one man sin entered into the world. Who is he talking about? Who is the one man that allowed sin that sin entered into the world through him? Adam. Adam. Okay, good. And death through sin. What happened when he sinned? The wages of sin is death. So death spread to who? All men. Nobody gets out of here alive. Two, two beat it. Enoch and Elijah. Those are the only two that beat death. They got out of here without dying. All right. They were the exceptions to the rule. Even Jesus died here on earth, right? Okay, so it says, For until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift. Now, what is it? we've talked about death. What is the free gift? Thank you very much. Free gift is not like the transgression. Transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Okay, so what he's saying is Adam gave a gift to all of his offspring. What was it? Sin. Death. Death. He gave them sin. We're all born in original sin. Every one of us sin. Mm-hmm. All of sin. So the gift that Adam gave to all of his children is the sin gene. How many of y'all heard about um, generational curses, right? Y'all hear about it? Listen, that's a bunch of nonsense. The generational curse is that you're a child of Adam and you act like your daddy. That's the generational curse. It plays itself out in a bunch of different ways. Maybe your mama drank and now you drink because your mom drank. Or maybe your dad took drugs and you take drugs because your dad did. But the reality is, is you're Adam's kid and you act like your daddy. That's the generational curse. And how many of us does that generational curse apply to? All. That's what it's saying right there. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So watch what it says then. This gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, The judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. What is he saying? He's saying that in Adam all have sinned, and Adam has passed on sin and death to all. But the gift is not like the sin, because through the one death of Christ, what did he do? He passed on life to the many. Now, do all get it? Do all get eternal life? Well, in a, some get eternal death. We all get eternity. Some get eternal life. Some get eternal death. But it is those who are in Christ that receive the gift. That's the ones that receive the gift. So watch what he says in verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace... And of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, 
Even so, through the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. It's pretty cool, isn't it? What is Paul saying? He's, Paul is comparing Adam and Christ. He's saying in one you get sin and you die. In one you get salvation and you live. And you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Now, I hope that what you hear when you hear that, it makes you realize that the reason why Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again is because Adam's not getting you out of here. Adam's getting you hell. And you have to be born into a new family in order to receive the gift. And who is the new family? Christ. It's in Christ. Yeah. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. You see how that works? And so what Paul is doing here is just simply comparing life in Adam and life in Christ. And every one of us in this room right now this very second are either in Adam or we are in Christ. There's no middle ground. Now, I can be in Christ and still struggle with the old Adam that I used to be, but I'm in Christ. And when I die, where am I going? To heaven. You see? And so it's very important for us to see that. So the Bible makes a distinction between those that are in Adam and those that are in Christ. And we need to realize that there is a fate for the righteous and that there is a fate for the unrighteous. So what we'll do to finish up, we got about five minutes left. I'm not going to hold you all late tonight. Let's go and look at these um, scriptural references for this first paragraph. Look what it says. It says in that first one, Genesis 3.19. Let's go, let's go chase these down and look and see if we can apply them to what we've been talking about tonight. Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Now, remember what God said to them. Remember what he said to Adam and Eve. Cursed is the ground. Remember he put a curse on the ground. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, Genesis 3, 17. Then Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. So what did God do? He put a curse on what? The dirt. And what is Adam made out of? Dirt. And why does he return to the dirt? Because he's under the curse. See how that works? All right. Then let's look at Acts 13, 36. Chasing some scriptures here. I'm hoping that as we read these scriptures, you'll see how they apply to what we've been talking about tonight. Acts 13.36. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 13.36 says this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent what? Corrosion. Corrosion, decay. Where's David right now? David's in heaven. His body's over there in Jerusalem and it's dirt. His soul is in his eternal home. You see how that works? All right. Let's look at another verse there. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. 
If you ever, how many of y'all like Ecclesiastes? How many of y'all read the book of Ecclesiastes? Right? How many of you like it? it? It actually, when you read it, it makes you kind of want to go out and kick the cat or something. Like it's really a sad book. Like it, it, it really is sad. It's like, man, this is horrible. Because what Solomon is doing is he's saying, this is life under the sun. This is all you've got to look forward to. Like if your hope is in life under this sun, you are vain. Your life is empty. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There's nothing new under the sun. And he's teaching us to stop looking to this temporal world for our hope. And it, it does make you want to go out and scream. Like, it's like, man, this is miserable. Right? But that's the point. The gospel shines brightest on the backdrop of the curse. Like the law drives us to the gospel. And the law shows us our sin. And our sin is black. It's midnight black. It's, it's filth. It's corrosion. It's corruption. And the gospel light shines brightest in the dark. Right. Like that's where it works the best. All right. So let's look at that other passage there. Ecclesiastes. Proverbs Psalm, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. It says this. When the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly what the paragraph just said a minute ago. Mm -hmm. You see what they're doing with that paragraph. They're drawing everything. The statements that they're making, they're pulling right out of Scripture to say this is what the Scriptures teach. Because when you have to talk with somebody about heaven and hell, you don't have three hours to go through and tell them everything that the Bible says about heaven and hell. So this creedal statement is just a brief summary of some of the things that the Bible teaches. So let's look at that Luke 24, 43 passage. Luke 24, 43 yeah, thank you. I'm getting old, right? My eyes are corroding. Luke 23:43, and it says this. 22:23:43 says, and he said to him, "Truly I say today, you shall be with me in paradise." Right? Who is he talking to? Who's Jesus talking to? Today you will be with me in paradise. He was talking to the thief on the cross. Remember? Yeah. Right? That man didn't have time to be baptized. He didn't have time to go join a church. He didn't have time to take communion. He didn't have time to pray. He didn't have time to do anything but say, Lord, please remember me. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So when Jesus died on the cross, where did Jesus go? To paradise. And where did the thief on the cross go? To paradise with him. All right? Where is paradise? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right? Where is the Lord? He is in heaven. Where is paradise? Paradise is in heaven. All right. Now, um, Luke, uh, 2 Corinthians, let's skip that one and go to the Philippians passage. Philippians 1, because we're almost right there at it. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And Philippians 1. And verses 22, 21 to 23, it says this, For me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to part and be with Christ, for that is very much better. So Paul is saying, I struggle in this body. There's a part of me... That wants to die and go and be with my Lord in my eternal home. 
But God has seen necessary for me to stay in this body so that I can perform work. He has a purpose for me. You remember what that passage about King David about King David said? It said what? When King David had served his purpose with God, he died and was buried with his fathers. And his spirit went to be with the Lord. So while you're in your body, God has a purpose for you here. And we are to delight in that purpose. And Paul's purpose, what was Paul's purpose? To suffer. He's going to suffer greatly for me. <clears throat> right? Huh? Jesus suffered too, and he brought all of us to him. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's the message of the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Come follow me and die to yourself and live for me. And we don't like to die to ourselves. To die to self means I'm going to be a self I'm self-sacrificing, right? And the truth of the matter is, is that on the altar in the old temple, they used to have horns on the altar, right? It was these four, one horn on each corner of the altar where they sacrificed. Now, you know why that horn was there? Why did they put that horn there? It wasn't a tooth horn. It's not like a trumpet horn. It's like a, like a rhinoceros horn, if you will, like a, a big horn. You know why they put them there? It's a ram's Yeah. You know why they put it there? Because they had to tie the sacrifices down because goats and sheep don't take kindly to be having their throats slit. They don't like to die. And guess what? We don't either. But a lot of people forget that part of the gospel message is for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying there's a part of me that's ready to go and be with my Lord. But he still has need for me here. And he knew that his, he knew that his need here was to suffer. He knew he was going to Rome to die for the gospel. And so each one of us in this room are commanded to die to self and live for him. And when you do that, you find the joy that this world can't give you. And where do you find that joy in? You find it in suffering. You find it in self-denial, uh, self-insufficiency, and seeking God's will for your life. And the problem is, is that we saw what it was like to live in Adam. Who did we live for when we were in Adam? Ourselves. And that brought all kind of suffering and all kind of pain and all kind of sorrow. Not only that, unless you repent, your life will perish. What would have happened if I had never turned away from Adam and turned to Christ? I'll go to hell. So the little bit of suffering that I have to go through in this life is nothing compared to the joy that awaits me in, in the future. And now, so now I have an open that. So um, I'll be back with you guys on this coming up Friday, and we'll finish up this paragraph and maybe try to, we'll talk about the last days and the bodies of the just and the unjust. Um, I do want to make one more quick statement. Um, Joan asked a question earlier about the rapture, and, and I, I, I am not a disposition. I don't believe what a lot of people here teach. Like, I believe that the day of the Lord is coming. The ne- I believe that the next thing on the eschatological calendar is that Jesus is coming back to judge the world. Like, that's what I believe. And I believe when he comes back, he's going to set up the eternal kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth. All of the- I believe that the stuff we read in Revelation is all going to take place. The devil and hell and all of the damned are going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And his saints, are going- the sheep, are going to inherit the new heaven and the new earth. But again... There are some things that we're not going to agree on. And when it comes to the eschatological things, like the last things, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of different things. 
And all I ask you to do is prove to me from Scripture what you're saying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what, so I'm teaching you what I see the Scripture say. And that's all I would ask of any other teacher to come here. Show me in the Scriptures. Like, show me in the Scriptures that that's there. And so when it comes to these different resurrections, like the rapture and then another rapture, the Bible never uses the term resurrections. Huh? Yeah, it just uses the day. And not only that, it never says the days of the Lord. It says the day of the Lord as it's one day. And so you have to wrestle with that on your own. I'm not going to judge anybody on their eschatological views because um, the reality is is that the Jewish people thought that they had the had it pegged and knew what was going to happen. And when it came, they missed it. like Because they were buried in their traditions and forgot what Scripture's taught. So, but... These things that we learn today are fact. You are a body and you have a soul and you are either righteous or unrighteous. And if you are righteous, you will inherit the eternal kingdom. And if you are unrighteous, you will inherit eternal damnation. And that's a reality that we all have to live with. And not only that, but again, it's not there to cause us to spare. If you are in Christ, it is there to give you hope. Amen. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us together tonight. Thank you for this time.